May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember that time when someone tried to explain something to you and you just couldn't get your head around what they were saying? You're thinking to yourself, like, all these words are in English, and I understand them all, but I have no idea what in the world you're talking about. And they would say something like, oh, it's, you know, it's really simple. It says blah, 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 blah. And you're, you just cannot seem to understand what they're doing. You know, maybe your friend is a, I don't know, a physicist or a woodworker or something, you know, and they have this expertise and skill. You know, Joe, all you have to do is fit these two sides together with a dovetail. And I'm thinking, I've got to kill a bird? You know, um, this doesn't seem right. I like birds. I won't think I would do that. The drawer's just not that important. I'll buy another cabinet. You know, they have these sort of um, uh, the jargon of the of the accomplished. It just is sometimes difficult to know what they're talking about. They know their art or their craft or their field so well that they just kind of give to you these these words in this language that seems to uh, se- seems to escape you. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of the greatest movies in the entire world, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> but if you ever get a chance to see this, you should. Uh, there's this, it's set in the Depression South, and um, uh, there are these guys who are on a chain gang, and they escape from the chain gang. And there are three of them. There's uh, Everett, Delbert, and Pete. And um, they have this event where, where one of the guys, Pete, um, uh, they all f- kind of fall asleep, and there are these, um, there are these beautiful young witches that are there. And they wake up, and uh, Everett and Delbert are there, and all they see is Pete's clothes laying out. And all of a sudden, a frog jumps out of his clothes, um, and they think that Pete has been turned into a toad. Okay, And so they capture the toad, and they have it on a box, and they're, they're carrying it around. And uh, a long story, but... Um, Pete comes uh, to a, um, a very tragic end as a toad. Uh, but then somewhere along the journey, they're out on the seeking this treasure, and, and somewhere along the journey they go and they see that there's a picture show going to be uh, in this theater. So they go in, they sit down, and they're watching it. And about halfway through the movie, it stops, the doors open, and in comes the leader of the chain gang, and he brings the chain gang into the theater. Apparently the warden had a, allowed a little bit of a reprieve from the chain gang that day. And so they all come and they, they file in right behind uh, Everett and Delbert, who slouch down in their seats because they're afraid of being discovered. And the movie starts back up, everybody's in place, and they're trying to whisper, and all of a sudden they hear a voice coming from behind them. And the voice is saying, do not seek the treasure. And they turn around and they look, and there's Pete. Well, Delbert is so thrilled to see him, he turns around and he says, we thought you was a toad. And Pete has no idea what in the world they're saying, so he just repeats his line, do not seek the treasure. And Delbert can't believe it, so he has to say it again, this time slower. We thought you was a toad. (laughs) And he has no idea what he's talking about. Pete thinks that Delbert has totally lost his mind. There's this incredulous look on his face. I don't know what you're talking about. Those words make sense, but they don't make sense to me. They, they, you know, uh, he later on says, uh, Pete Hogwell, that just don't make no sense. You know? <laughs> so I know it's a double negative. That means it does make sense. But in his world, it makes perfect sense. You know what you do when you don't understand something? After a while, you just say, oh, fooey, I'll leave it to the experts. There are people who understand these things, who, who find interesting these things, and they do a good job of managing them. They don't need my help. This is the way I feel every time I walk onto an airplane. Do you ever get that feeling? 
I know that flight has something to do with speed and wings. Beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. You know, I have no idea. I walk by, maybe you do this too, I always peek in the cockpit. I feel like sooner or later this is going to make sense to me. But it never does. All I see are these switches and this panel of, of dials and, and gears and levers and all this sort of But it makes no sense to me. And in those couple of seconds, I always decide, oh, well, it makes sense to him or to her. You know, uh, I'll just go back here where my seat is, way in the back of the back in the middle, and I'll open up my book and I'll sit here and read and I'll leave it to the experts. St. Paul is writing this letter. We've been kind of looking at this for a little bit, this letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a famous city in Greece. It's probably the, the leading city of the day, even uh, more important than its uh, more famous twin, Athens. Um, but uh, Corinth is a center of commerce. It's a center of, um, of all sort of uh, economic activity. It was, to the ancient world, what New York really is to ours. It, it was a city that, that with all of this um, importance and commerce came uh, all sorts of, of riotous living as well. To uh, be called a a Corinthian, I I mentioned a couple weeks ago, was really to be slandered. It was a city known for uh, uh, licentiousness and uh, and scandal. And so even in the ancient world that was filled with such things, to be called a Corinthian was really a a derogatory term. And Paul goes into the city and he establishes a church. He plants a church, and there's a Christian community that begins to grow and to, to, uh, to advance in the Christian faith, and, and they're doing really well. They're thriving. And so Paul does what missionaries do. Having started a city, he turns over the reins to um, a couple people who are there, and he goes off to do more mission work. He eventually winds up in the city of Ephesus, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey, and there he receives a letter about things that are going on in Corinth. It seems they have gone downhill quickly. The letter details, it rather chronicles, like all the miscreant behavior of the Corinthians. And so Paul's first letter is a response to the letter that he has received. And he goes through and he just sort of, now let's talk about this and let's talk about this. And the very first thing he dealt with after he greeted the people and told them how much he loved them and how, you remember, you were called to be God's holy people, he begins to deal with the issue of division. And it seems there are quite a bunch of divisions in the church, uh, mostly over personalities of teachers. One wants this one, another another, still another someone else. And Paul talks to him about that and how that is really inconsistent with the message of the Christian faith, that we are to be united. But there seems to be more going on than just a division of personalities. It seems that there have been people who have come in and begun to actually exploit the divisions. There are teachers, there are pastor teachers who are coming in and they're exploiting these divisions for their own purpose. They want to gain a following. And Paul very subtly begins to attack them. It's almost imperceptible in this, um, in this section of the letter that was read earlier, but it's there and I'm gonna, uh, we'll, we'll kind of help ferret it out. But he, he wants to say the people who are claiming like special wisdom and special giftedness are really charlatans. They're really not who they claim to be. And Paul says, you have a choice. You have these sort of people who are doing this, or you have us. He says we several times. We, we do this, but we do this, but we do this. He's referring to himself and his apostolic team, um, Sosthenes and and Timothy and others who have been part of his team. These guys are doing this, but we are doing this. They are doing this, but we are doing this. He, He keeps going on through these in three particular areas. But before we get there, I want you to open up, if you would, your bulletin to the New Testament lesson. 
And, and let's just kind of pick this apart just a little bit. The first, the, the first few verses here. Uh, and I, notice this, and I, or but I, could be actually translated, but I, when I came to you, brothers, so there are others who are doing something different. Remember how it was, he's saying, when I came to you. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. It wasn't like I had this fantastic rhetoric or this super keen wit. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you, look at this, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom or lofty words of wisdom. Remember what it was like when I came here. I was kind of frightened of you all. You know, I, I came here, Paul says, kind of trembling, a little, a little scared, wasn't really sure of myself. But what happened? I came not with all the plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. God, not my speech, was what convinced you. It was God who was at work. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not me. It was the message that I proclaimed, and God's working through that, that turns you people into believers. Now look at this. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Yet among the mature, those who have grown up in their faith, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. This is Paul's first shot across the bow. Okay, when we came to you, we are not coming to you in this, the wisdom of this age or with the rulers of this age. We don't come to you in that way. We come to you with the wisdom of God. The, the Greeks, of course, were infatuated with wisdom. Um, the word philosophy is the combination of two Greek words, uh, uh, phila, which is love, and, and sophia, which is wisdom. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. It comes from the Greeks. Paul is in the Greek city where wisdom and philosophy are championed. And he's saying to them, I don't come to you with human philosophy, not the philosophy of this age or the rulers of this age. But I come to you with the wisdom that comes from God. So there are two types of wisdom. There is worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. And Paul is saying, I come to you with godly. We came to you with godly wisdom. And the mature Christian realizes this. They realize that there are teachings that come from God and those who don't. And it's sensible. You know, there are some times where wisdom that is worldly wisdom is also sensible. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense, you might say. But it doesn't work. It doesn't hold up. And Paul is saying, I don't come to you to persuade you of speech. I came to you with the wisdom of God, which is not like the wisdom of the world. Slide way down to verse 12. Look at this one. Now we have not received the spirit of the world. Here it is again, first person plural. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that the people who are coming and teaching that they are spiritual are exploiting you. The spirit that they have is not the Holy Spirit. They are trying to, to have this facade of spirituality. And Paul is saying all these while, I mean, if you look at each one of these little things, this world, this age, um, 
this wor- you know, worldly wisdom. These are all veiled languages that he uses elsewhere, uh, veiled language rather, that he uses elsewhere to describe the workings of evil in the world. This is language that he would use for the devil and, demon- and demonic uh, forces in the world. This age, this world's wisdom, human wisdom. This is not us. This is not what we brought to you. Third attack, verse 13. Look at this one. And we impart this in words, look at this, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The verb form comes from the noun didache, teachings. Finally, he's getting to the point. You see, we're not of this world. We're not of this age. We're not human. We're not giving you human wisdom. We are giving you teaching that comes from God which is to be juxtaposed with the other sorts of teaching that they're getting. Human philosophy, culture, what's popular in the day. The Greeks, didn't have, they had no idea of secular world. Everybody was religious, right? Everybody was either a, a, um, a polytheist pagan or a, a, a monotheistic Jew. Christians were kind of lumped in with monotheistic Jews. You either worship many gods or one god. They had no idea of secular, godless world. We live in a godless world. Paul might be rightly paraphrased. We didn't come to you bringing secular values and wisdom, but godly wisdom and values. We didn't come to you bringing pagan thought. We came to you bringing godly thought. The question then that lingers, and I think this is the the point of this text, which path will the Corinthians follow? Upon which philosophy, which world of thought will they build their lives? And the same comes to us today, doesn't it? We, too, have the same sort of choice. Upon whose wisdom will we build our lives? Upon which spirituality will we build our lives? Pick a vice. Mentally, don't say it out loud. Pick a vice. (laughs) Any vice you want. And I'll do ten minutes of a Google search, and I will find you somebody who will defend that as a reasonable way to live as a Christian. It won't even take me ten minutes. Find any sort of heretical belief. And and in less than 10 minutes on Google, I will find you somebody who purports to be a Christian who defends that sort of thought. The question that we have is, are we going to take our cues from our culture or from the Bible? What is going to be the, the, the basis for our understanding in the way that we build our life? The revelation of God or human wisdom, human philosophy? Here's a little, little test, a little thought experiment. Let me give you words from Jesus just last Sunday, which this Sunday was sort of the, a continuation of in the gospel lesson. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, markirioi in Greek, happy. Happy are the poor. In our world, happy are the poor? No, happy are the rich, right? Happy are those who mourn? In our world, happy are the mourner? No, happy are those who celebrate, right? Happy are the meek and the gentle. In what aspect have you seen this being happy in our world? Happy are the powerful. Happy are the ones who take what they want. Happy are those who uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness? which is another way of saying, happy are those who really desire to do what's right in the world? Come on. Happy are the ones who do whatever the heck they want to do. I have this great little book. You should read it sometime. It's it's total satire. 
but you, you got to go to the very last page before you realize it. It's called What Would Machiavelli Do? Um, this is a, how, do you, how do you get through the world taking what you want, not caring about what anybody else wants? It's the most outrageous book you've ever seen in your life. But this is the way that a lot of people live, and it's filled with quotes from people that you would know who are in culture, who are in entertainment and philosophy, politics. We have a choice. Who are we going to listen to? Okay, grammarians, to whom are we going to listen? That's the last time I'm saying it that way. Who are we going to listen to? <laughs> Yesterday, um, our son Dietrich was wrestling in a, um, in a tournament in Aurora. And uh, Abby and Benjamin and I went over, and Mary came over because she lives in Aurora and watched him. And the kid did really well. He took third place overall, so he, was, he, he had a good, successful day, a couple pins on the day. Um, and it was great. It was great fun. Um, but if you've never been to a wrestling match and you don't really have had to, imagine this. There's a gymnasium filled with hundreds of people, uh, parents, family members, lots of kids on wrestling teams, and there are three mats in the center of the gym. And on these three mats, simultaneously, are three different matches, each one kid facing another kid. So there are six uh, young men uh, facing one another in a gymnasium filled with hundreds of people. And each time a kid is wrestling, like, say, Dietrich, Everybody from the Hudson team, every wrestler on the Hudson team is watching him, and every parent on the Hudson team is watching him. And let's say he's wrestling a kid from Brexville. Every parent and team member is watching their kid. And all of us have been watching wrestling long enough to know what this kid should be doing, or at least what we think he should be doing. And we offer that advice freely, you know, um, at the highest level of volume that we possibly can. So we're all yelling for Dietrich, and all the Brexville kids are yelling for their kid, and all the, all the parents from Aurora are yelling for their kid who's wrestling, as well as all the teammates are yelling. And you have hundreds of people who are all yelling instructions to six individuals in the center of the gymnasium. And right beside them, on the other side of the gym, sits coaches. Coaches are not silent. They, too, are yelling instructions. And they actually know what they're talking about. Dietrich, for his part, has been wrestling since the first grade. Um, he tells me, I don't listen to anybody. I shut them all out. I know what I'm doing. I know even when I'm doing something and it's not going to get me, it's not going to work. I know that. I don't need somebody to tell me it's not going to work. I've got to try something. So he, he tunes everybody out. He's mature. He knows what's right. He knows the inner voice. It's, it's so programmed in. He knows what he should be doing. Even if he can't accomplish it, he knows inwardly. But a lot of kids aren't that mature in their wrestling. And so they're listening. They're listening for voices. And they have thousands of different voices yelling at them simultaneously to do something different. And they can't even tell if they're being yelled at by the people they're listening for or somebody else. Maybe it's a mat over. You have a thousand voices that are yelling at you. I have a thousand voices that are yelling at me. They're coming from every direction. For heaven's sake, television, movies, magazines, newspapers. People everywhere are shouting and giving you instructions. And there's a coach really close by who also is shouting to us instructions. And the question that we have, so who are we going to listen to? 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 